Welcome to TMBC's Comic Book Workshop, brought to you by Panel by Panel Magazine and time-traveling future supporters on Patreon. I'm Jason Hammonds, a writer who also draws. And I'm Ken Heidelman, an artist who also writes. We are both making comics while still kind of learning how to make comics. After combing through libraries, the internet, and fighting the undead for their precious knowledge on making comics, we thought it might be a good idea to share our notes and hopefully help you make your own comics as well. So what's on the agenda today, Jason? Ah, Kent, I'm glad you asked. Today we are talking to Daniel Warren Johnson. He is the creator of Extremity, uh, the creator of Space Mullet. He's also the artist from uh, comics like The Ghost Fleet and others. He is one of the premier talents in comics today. Um, And this interview went so long that we just decided to present it by itself. Oh, yeah, I, I was, we, we both decided on that well in advance, and we didn't record another segment and then decided to move it to another episode. No, of course we didn't do that, Kent. Why would we ever do that? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. We, that's, we didn't do it. That's not what we did. No, we didn't. Daniel joined the show today to talk about his new upcoming comic, Murder Falcon. It debuts October 10th, which means you got plenty of time to go and pre-order it from your retailers. Um, Daniel, in this interview, says something like October 3rd or something like that for the release date, but it has since changed. Um, so now the official release date is October 10th. Just make sure you go into your retailers and pre-order it. I want to remind you also you can find our show on uh, any social media platform at TMBC Workshop where we share all sorts of helpful tips and tricks on writing, drawing, inking, lettering, coloring comics, all sorts of that fun, fun stuff. Anyway, we hope you enjoy this interview with Daniel and stick around all the way till the end past the ads to hear Daniel tell us why he loves comics. We are talking to a guy that uh, you probably know by now. Uh, his his wife probably calls him Dan Dan Noodle. If she doesn't, I think she's got a new nickname for him, and I hope she will. But you can call him Daniel Warren Johnson. Welcome to the show, Dan. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> no problem at all. Last time we talked, yeah, you and th- this was for the Savage Land for anybody who hasn't heard both interviews. Um, the last time we talked, you were like a week out from having a new kid. How's adjusting to dad life been for you? Oh, man. I can't even imagine my life before I had a child now. I wonder what I said on that interview that I would disagree with my own self about four months later. I mean, you said Um, something about, like, hating the kid and, like, being so resentful of the whole... I'm just kidding. (laughs) It was was really funny. I had... uh, I had the so the Marvel Quick Draw team came out to like film me like drawing. Oh yeah, I saw that. They wanted yeah they wanted to like kind of focus on like my relationship with my wife and my kiddo mm-hmm. and like tying that in with like you know drawing and so they're they're being all serious and they're asking me interview questions. They're like, <laughs> what was the first thing you you thought when you heard you were going to have a baby? And I said, oh, I have to I need to buy more guitars before I can't buy. <laughs> and and like. I was like half joking, but it was also like I was happy, but I was also like, oh, wait, this means I can't do all the things I want to do all the time. <laughs> and they like didn't know what to do with it. They were like, oh, seriously? And I was like, well, yeah, kind of. I mean, like I was also happy. And they're like, why don't we take it from the top? <laughs> <laughs> that is oh. that is the sign of, of an interviewer uh, wanting to get a certain answer and trying to, to guide it there. That's that's funny, though. I, I don't think the uh, the guitar thing made it into the final video. No, it did not. Thank goodness. <laughs> now now I'm, I'm saying it on the podcast for all people to hear just how much of a materialistic bastard I am. <laughs> 
Hey man, the guitar wow. love runs deep, as uh, as is evidenced in your uh, just announced comic book. Um, which uh, oh we, yes, which we will uh, we'll get to. Um, yeah, but parenting is going really well. Thanks for asking, yeah, um, man. Fiona, her name's Fiona. She's great. Um, she's four months old now, and she just started going to sleep by herself. Wow. Um, yeah, where we get her all ready for bed and we sing to her. I give her like a a pep talk about how <laughs> about how going to sleep by herself is like a big challenge. Yeah, and like responsible and, finances and and you know preparing <laughs> for retirement and all that. I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, we put her to bed, and dude, she falls uh, she falls asleep by herself. I mean, it's pretty amazing. That is that is wonderful. That is a huge step, and I'm sure that uh, you and and Rachel's your wife, right? That's correct. I'm, I'm sure you two are like loving the fact that you don't have to, uh, uh, you know, keep her in the room with with you when she sleeps now at this point. Oh well, she's still in the room with it. Oh, okay, with just not in the same um, bed with you. Exactly. Gotcha. Well, Should we put her in the crib the awake and she falls asleep by herself and it is glorious. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. man. That's good to hear. Have you? I mean, in in terms of you know, in sort of relating this to to comics and and craft. Uh, sure. Sure. Has, has this sort of affected your your working schedule? Have you had to find kind of workarounds to to keep uh, sort of your your productivity stay on your deadlines while also you know being a dad and and keeping your responsibilities at home? Yeah, definitely. It's been a challenge. What's uh, um, I took about? Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to ask what what do you think is the biggest way that it affected? And and I think you were probably about to kind of get into that anyway. Yeah. Um. I mean, when I found out that we were going to have the baby um i was really trying to work on like you know starting quickly my work day and ending quickly so i could fit more in Mm -hmm. i'm kind of a runway artist so it takes me a long time to get going a long time to get out of it (laughs) um but obviously you know when you're a parent you know babies aren't not going are not going to wait for you to to you know (laughs) yeah like get into the artistic moment you know it takes me about an hour to get all you know warmed up yeah now i just have to go downstairs and pump it out um which is very i was working on that as soon as i i was trying to work on that as much as i could before fiona was born and then when she was born i just realized just how difficult it really is you know Um, oh yeah and also like you know drawing and like trying to be in the moment during the day when you know my wife works at nights uh three nights a week so not as bad as it could be, but, you know, on those nights, sometimes it's hard to focus on drawing because I know that I am responsible for a baby in like two hours. And, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to finish a panel and I don't want to rush, but it's getting down to brass tacks. And so the mentality has definitely shifted. It's it's tough. Um, each day gets a little easier, mm-hmm. uh, a little better, a little. Um, what's the word? When it when I first tried to get back to work after those two weeks, it was a nightmare. I mean, I barely got anything done. Um, <laughs> and as the months have gone on, partly it's because Fiona has grown up a little bit, and you know, she does go to sleep at kind of a normal hour now, and we do have some sort of schedule now, which is more set. Mm. So each each day is getting better, and um, I still love drawing. It's it has evolved though. Um, there's more in my mind and it's a bit more of a challenge to clear my mind as I kind of pour into the page, so to speak. Yeah. Have you, is there, yeah. what's, what's kind of your method of, of clearing your mind usually, or what, what kind of things do you do to, to try and get into the, uh, the mentality? Man, I put on more, I put on music more than I used to. Mm. Um, I also put on a ESPN's baseball tonight podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big baseball fan, and hearing about baseball numbers 
um, you know, kind of distracts me into kind of just working and, um, <laughs> yeah, not a whole lot's changed. You know, I mean, like, I don't know. It, it's basically, sorry, my, uh, of course today is the day when we have the, uh, dudes come over to mow the lawn <laughs> hey, in my apartment, good, man. It's all, um, good. but yeah, just kind of things like trying to get into the routine and keeping it consistent. Um, a big part of my success is getting to the drawing table at a specific time. Mm. Um, if I get, if I start drawing past noon, like, like twelve fifteen, twelve thirty, it's going to be a bad day. <laughs> um, that's a good, I, that's a good lesson. I mean, so this, you know, and, and for some background, since this podcast, as we're recording this interview, uh, still has another four days before it officially launches. But, you know, this show is focused on kind of craft and, and helping people, Honestly, in a way, sort of do take the path that you took of creating your comics and 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 just getting your stuff out there rather than waiting for an invitation, totally. you know, or trying to like quote unquote break in, just sort of doing right. it. Um, and I think that's a huge important note is yeah, like to to have that schedule to force yourself to to get you know at the desk by a certain time, uh, you know, and treat it like a job. So that's interesting. Yeah, um, and that's what I was having to do even before I was published. You know, if it was yeah. the same thing if I. If I didn't start at a specific time during the day, um, the whole day would just kind of be shot. Or it mm. would be shot, but it would be difficult and not fun. Mm. So that's a big part of it. Um, yeah. And then if we if we can uh, rewind the clock back a little bit, um, because I think Space Mullet is, is one of the, I think, prime examples of, um, you know, the sort of the, the method of breaking into comics, quote unquote, as, as it sure. exists today, you know. Um, what was your biggest challenge to overcome as you're, you know, starting to kind of do this thing? You know, it's really your first comic that you're putting out there. What what was the, the hurdle for you that was most significant um, to getting from wanting to do it to actually getting it done and keeping on doing it? Mm, a few things. First was public shame. <laughs> um, I knew that. So I only had about seven pages. Mm hmm of back matter of like, of like pa of seven pages done of space mullet before I launched it. Mm. Cause I knew that if I waited any longer, if I didn't pounce on it, mm -hmm. if I didn't have a community of people waiting for it, I would never do it. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing. Like I remember I ran a marathon in 2011. Oh wow. And I, yeah, but I, you know, I would never train for a marathon on my own. <laughs> I had to do it with an organization where we like raised money for a charity okay. that I did it with a group of people. And if I didn't show up, then I wasn't like doing it and everyone would know. And yeah, yeah. so that's what got me, got my ass to the, the track, you know, in the mornings. Um, Hell yeah. So public shame, big part of that, uh, probably the biggest motivator for me, which I don't know, that's probably unhealthy, but, um, uh, that was the biggest motivator, honestly. And then also like, I loved it, but like we, we all, I don't know, I needed a kick in the pants to do it. And the only way to do that was to have a very public forum. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody's different. Some people are way better at like pushing themselves than I am. Mm -hmm. Um, and now, you know working on comics now as it's changed it's more like you know i'm trying to make the rent yeah. um i need to do it to get paid i still love doing it it's just uh i don't know it's more of a necessity now than it was before it is a changed, you know because when i first started space mold i was doing it for fun and i think as most people know it's like if you do a project as big as like a graphic novel for fun quote unquote yeah 
there are moments where it's like, if it's, especially if it's not your job and you don't feel like drawing, it's like, why the heck would I do this? <laughs> um, so there you need, I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for anyone, but I needed some extra push. Um, so that's, that was, a, yeah, that was probably the, honestly, I mean, I know it sounds kind of crappy, but that was the biggest element for me was just not wanting to let people down when I started the comic. Yeah, no. And I, and I think that's great. You know, I mean, you, you found, you found a way to sort of, you know, have something motivating you to have sort of an external source motivating you to do it. And I did the same thing with green leader. Hell yeah. In in early 2015, after uh, Emerald City, there was about a month between Emerald City 2015 and C2E2 2015. Mm-hmm. So I got the idea maybe a few days after I got home from Seattle, mm-hmm. and I just made the cover that day, and I put it online, and I said, <laughs> this is coming out in C2E2, and I had none of it done. I, oh I knew, I, I had like thumbnailed it out, but I hadn't like drawn any of it. Uh-huh. And I was like, the only way I'm going to finish this is if people are expecting it. <laughs> and I managed to get it done like two days before C2E2. Wow. Um, so that was another. And, that, you know, because Green Leader was for fun. Yeah. Totally. Um, I had other paying comic work that I had to do. So, um, again, public <laughs> like, shame. Screw this. Screw this money stuff that I have to get. Why don't I make this uh, Star Wars fan comic that I have no possibility right. of making any money from? Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome, though. <laughs> So good. Yeah. Um, well, uh, so, you know, as, as we're kind of, you know, getting, I mean, I, th- I think first, really, we should talk about Murder Falcon. Uh, of course. Because this, this thing, I, I got the preview copy uh, last night and. Oh, you did? Oh, so you read it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. This thing is amazing. What, what, what led to this <laughs> idea? Tell me the origin story of Murder Falcon. Yeah, so. Um... Yeah, for those who don't know, my new image book with Skybound is um, called Murder Falcon. Um, <laughs> As you're listening is, to this, it was just announced. Yeah, the elevator pitch is a burned-out uh, metalhead who's lost his girl, his band, and all good things in life. Uh, basically, gets his old broken guitar transformed into a super shredder mm. of a like a super nice shredder guitar, and uh, magically linked with this guitar is a being called Murder Falcon. <laughs> And the better that this main character, Jake, the ex-metalhead, uh, plays his guitar, the better that Murder Falcon fights evil. And that is basically the concept for the uh, for what you know as Murder Falcon. <laughs> it's so good. And I'll tell you, like, you know, reading through this first issue, I mean, there's a ton of, like, awesome action and, and, and you know, really cool stuff just in general. Awesome storytelling. And and I'm kind of going through it and I'm going, okay, this is really fun. This is awesome. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm liking this journey. Uh, but I had yet to like feel that really like that kind of emotional sort of tug of like, you know, like there was a lot of emotion in it, but I, I, I it took a while before I was like feeling that thing that was going, oh, okay, here's, here's the emotion that we're tapping into for the the rest of the series. You know, here's what makes this right. a continuing story. And then I get to that last panel and yeah. that, that to me, I'm like, oh, okay. Hell yeah. Like there's, there, there's a lot of emotion to this. There's a lot of stakes. There's, there's a lot of sort of, uh, I think pain to be brought out. Um, it's, I don't know. It like this, this is a, a, a master first issue. Um, thank you. No problem, man. I, I mean, so what, what were, what were the, inf- obvi- I, I think that a lot of the influences are pretty obvious looking at it, you know, with, sure. with your cute, you know, the van and the, the, you know, shredding yep. guitar and all this sort of metal stuff. I mean, it, it all looks yep. like something that would be painted on the side of a van 
Um, (laughs) but what, you know, what were you kind of tapping into for, for inspirations from this, this world? Well, it started off with kind of me kind of casually thinking about what my next project would be after extremity. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew I wanted to continue to write and draw something. Yeah. But I also knew that I needed a bit of a palate cleanser after the heaviness of extremity. Mm. Um, which, you know, extremity wasn't that it didn't take a toll on me or anything like that. It just, I felt like I wanted to make a book where people maybe could take it less seriously than it. Like people could meet it on multiple levels. And I Mm -hmm. think it's apparent from the first issue. If you want to get into that emotional grit, it's there Mm -hmm. for the, for those that want kind of like just a badass ride with a Falcon with a bandana punching (laughs) monsters. Like that's also there. And especially with the title, it kind of gives readers the freedom to interpret as much depth from it as they want. Yeah. Um, whereas Extremity, you know, I'm really proud of it. But from the first issue on, I'm pushing readers into an experience which they're kind of forced to kind of self-reflect, for lack of a better way oh, of totally. saying it. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to try to make a book that maybe could have a little more fun, mm-hmm. um, at least from the from the get from the cover for the first from the first few pages yeah and i wanted i didn't want to feel forced but you know music is such a huge part of my life and um you know music has helped me through a lot of like really difficult times in my life as well and you know it's such a huge part of who i am that i wanted to kind of pay homage to it a little bit in murder falcon and with some sort of comic and it just so happened that murder falcon was the book that really made it tie all those like loves together and you're right you know like it's definitely kind of a bit of a love letter to like you know 80s a little bit more of that 80s glam metal and kind of the ridiculousness totally um in the late 80s especially and um you know i have long hair and i wear it in a ponytail and people make fun of me and i just don't give a rat's ass (laughs) (laughs) and i wanted to kind of channel that energy of just like so cool it's uncool (laughs) <laughs> more is more, you know, overplaying, you know, oh, yeah. in the, um, and channel that through this book. And the initial concept actually came from my brother, mm-hmm. uh, my brother, Timothy, he, uh, does men's roller derby out in Massachusetts. Oh, and he made the, uh, Massachusetts maelstrom B team. Nice. Uh, and he needed to come up with a name, like a, a cool, like roller derby name. Uh huh. And he was sweating over this for months trying to figure it out. And uh, he was sending me every day. He was sending me like lists of names. And, you know, it'd be like, uh, you know, Andrew Lloyd Shredder, you know, Bomb Town, mm. uh, you know, crazy <laughs> stuff like that. And one of these names was Murder Falcon. And I said, you can't use Murder Falcon. I have to use this for a comic. <laughs> And uh, he said, "That's fine. I I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be named that anyway." <laughs> and I got that text maybe at eight o'clock at night. And as I went to bed, I just man, that's such a great two names, two words put together. And I thought of the whole story before I went to bed Holy that night. I mean, sometimes amazing. it just comes to you. I yeah. mean, sometimes. I mean, obviously, you know, a little the storytelling kinks and the, oh, of course the the characters. You know, it all took a little while to manifest. But I was like, what if? What if there was a being named Murder Falcon that was basically the the physical presence of the healing power of music? You know, like yeah. 
what would that look like? And it's different for everyone. Some, some of, for some people that's classical for other people, it's indie rock or Mm -hmm. hip hop or what have you. But for me, it's just, you know, heavy metal. It's, (laughs) it's had a very positive impact on my life. And hell yeah, this is definitely a love letter to that. I, uh, I enjoyed how, how you kind of, you know, at least in this first issue, you, you kind of, you know, weave in, uh, these metal lyrics from Racer X songs. Uh, yeah. Is that, is that going to be sort of an ongoing, um, thing in this series to, to try and like tie together lyrics from other songs to, uh, what's going on in the story? It depends. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working through issue four right now. Um, I'm already done with three issues. I finished drawing three issues. Um, so each issue kind of has its own vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, issue two has some of that. Issue three, maybe not so much. I can't really exactly remember. It's honestly, it's not something that I really planned out. You know, it was something that, you know, if the lyrics are in the book, mm-hmm. then it's definitely like Racer X as was a really huge part of um, kind of me like like getting healthy again mm-hmm. when it came to creating and like living life, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. Like it's, it's just been, you know, it's just that unabashed like love of, I don't know, just having fun. And, uh, <laughs> I wanted to figure, I wanted to use, try and, you know, take some lyrics that maybe were, were somewhat tongue in cheek, but tying them to something that might be a little more serious. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it did also like, I hadn't listened to racer X in a while and just seeing, yeah. <laughs> seeing the the lyrics like in the comic i was like oh man like i should i should listen to racer x right now and i started like yeah. <laughs> revisiting and listening like hell yeah this is dope um yeah and paul gilbert is one of my personal heroes so <laughs> you know yeah. hey paul if you ever listen to this thanks so much for the music man yeah actually paul gilbert is a huge fan of this podcast so uh i'm, I'm sure he'll hear it right <laughs> He's been, someday someday yeah, he's been really trying to, to get his his comics career going so he he uh started tuning in um well so in in your process and and i'm curious you know maybe if if this has kind of changed over the years uh but what do you find to be the most time-consuming part of the process obviously you know you are writing you're drawing you're inking you know you're you're doing all your roughs and layouts um what which step in the process do you think is is the most time-consuming for you um well if for every series that i work on Mm -hmm. that i write um definitely the hardest and longest part of the process is the initial outline Mm -hmm. um where i kind of start with for for instance murder falcon i have all these like really excited ideas that i'm really like bubbly and like overjoyed about Mm -hmm. they're all in my brain kind of firing off like neurons like different parts like okay this is murder falcon he's gonna have a bandana (laughs) he's gonna play this specific guitar we can tie in some song lyrics from here and they're gonna fight monsters and you're just think you're just like riffing you're just thinking and having a good time and then when it comes down to actually like taking that exuberance it's kind of like you know if you if you sketch if you if you do a drawing of a character and you 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 do the initial sketch it has a lot of energy and excitement Mm -hmm. But it's just a sketch, and you need to transfer that into oh, – you need to transfer it into something that people can make sense of, and it can be approachable, and you can reproduce. And like in an ink – in like pen and ink, mm-hmm. and maintaining the same level of excitement and joy while also kind of giving it a finished quality 
that's what you ha- kind of have to do with this outline. It's like I have to take all these ideas, this sketch, and change it into something that's presentable um, while also maintaining that energy and excitement. Yeah, yeah. So that that is the hardest part for me because I need to stop having fun and start putting things down and start editing <laughs> and start assessing what will work, what will not. And when Murder Falcon first started, it was much more of a mood piece. It was almost like an emotion in a comic mm-hmm. without really any explaining, any explaining at all, barely any explaining. And it was more kind of along the lines of like, I kill giants. Mm. Um, if you remember that comic, yeah, yeah. Um, much more kind of moody and ethereal. And um, it just wasn't working because, you know, just with the way that the characters that I had thought of the characters in my head, they just had no, you know, they were just hanging out. Like there was no, there was no stakes. There's no, no, nobody was like pushing them out the door saying we have to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I basically had to take all of that, what I had kind of thought up and I had to kind of recycle it and put it, put it through kind of, I had to rethink, I had to think about the story in a different way. So now murder Falcons came out, has come out a little more linearly than maybe what I had originally intended. Mm. Um, but that's that process took like two months of me sitting at a computer uh, every other day, you know, just like staring at a blank screen, thinking about stuff. And, you know, what I usually do when it comes to uh, mapping out a series, I'll start with outlines, like little paragraphs for each issue. And they will be very detailed for like issue one. Issue two will be a little less detailed. Issue three, a little less. Mm-hmm. Issue four and so on and so on until, you know, the last issue or what I think the last issue will be, mm-hmm. you know, is basically just like a like a, a barely a skeleton. Okay. Um, but I really like the way that I, I really like this process because it allows for me to have some sort of plan because I do work in like a, an industry which requires deadlines. And, yep. You know, I can't just work on it until it's done. I need to have something mapped out. Yeah. So I have a, a a little bit. I have like half of it mapped out pretty solid, mm-hmm. and then once I have like a very thin outline, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like the it's like the beginning is real beefy, and then it gets thinner as it goes on. Yeah, I start writing. I'll start just writing issue one and scripting it out. And as I begin to script it, I get a feel for the characters, for the story, for the mood, for the pacing, and that carries into the issues that are not done yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is really great for me because then it allows for me to kind of riff off what's happening in the story instead of just going beat by beat by beat. Um, as I'm learning who the characters are, I'm like, wow, this could really influence the last issue in a really cool way that I hadn't thought of before. Mm-hmm. Simply because when you're thinking of an outline, there's just too many character paths for you to think about what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you don't want you don't want things to feel too forced. You don't want to like be pushing your characters into a corner mm. um, where the reader can be like, man, it feels like they're just manufacturing ways to get these things to happen. Yeah. And I want it to be organic. Um, and so that's how that was the hardest part, the longest part, most challenging. <laughs> and that's kind of how it goes. But I, I, that was a really long winded answer, but no, man, that, I think of... that was pure solid gold. And I think that's exactly what, uh, what people like in, in these types of, uh, of interviews is a long detail. Right on. Um, that's, and that, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's interesting to, to kind of hear about that, especially, you know, that is something I think that everybody who's, who's writing a story and has a sense of, of, you know, storytelling in general, like, 
I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with is like, okay, you know, how do I, you know, raise the stakes, drive tension, right. like, you know, give this, you know, really like a strong feel without pushing it too hard and, and, you know, taking away from what actually is going to, you know, make the story feel kind of cathartic. Um, right. You know, and, and so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's awesome to hear. And what, what do you think it was like, you know, as you're struggling and kind of figuring all that stuff out, was there any kind of defined moment where you felt like it all sort of like clicked together and broke through? Or was it just kind of a gradual thing of all that work coming together? As much as I wish that it, I had a click, mm-hmm. I mean, the challenge was always constant. Yeah. Um, it's always great to see, like, like you said, like issue one. I really feel like issue one was like, I really put a lot of work into making it work the way it does. Mm-hmm. Um, everything was crafted in a way to, to sell that last little panel yeah. um, where the call to action is laid down mm-hmm. and the character has now got a journey to, to proceed down. And, you know, I think it, the issue one, I feel very good about in a lot of different ways, but um I think it, the closest thing that I had to a click was when I finished issue one and I could look at the issue one and use it as a roadmap for the tone of the rest of the series. Mm. Um, Cause tone and mood is such a big thing for me. Yeah. And in the presentation of like, you know, how are people going to take this? You know, it has to be presented in a way where people can feel free to say, wow, this is just insane. And I'm all, I, I I'm going with it. Totally. Um, So, you know, and I have to, I'm going to name drop here, but in the best way, uh, some of the best workshoppers in comics, in my opinion, are Jason Howard Mm. and Scotty Young. These guys, they pump out stories like you wouldn't believe. And they're really good at looking at like a work in progress. Like I showed the Murder Falcon. I kind of talked them through it before I started, before I had really started issue one. Mm -hmm. And they really did had some great notes for me. Like. Um, I remember I had started things off a lot slower mm-hmm. in the beginning of uh, Murder Falcon. Like the first page, you know, would would have been, I think, uh, Jake sitting on that park bench in issue one. Um, and they were like, this is we love the story. But, you know, at, from page one, we should be feeling the audience should know Murder Falcon. Heck, yeah, this is what <laughs> we're doing. This is what it's about. You know, yeah. And I was like, you guys are so right. I'm trying to change it into something that is not meant to be. And it needed a punch in the initial. And that's what helped bring issue one together. Um, so another part of the process is opening up with friends who are really good at what they do. And uh, thanks to Scotty and Jason for helping me out with that. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to get them on the show at some point and, and talk to both of them about uh, workshopping and, and talking to other creators, because that is interesting oh, yeah. to hear. They did the same thing for Extremity, too. Oh, really? Yeah, I showed them the first few p- preview pages of Extremity when I was p- uh, before I pitched it to Skybound. Mm-hmm. And they had great, great notes for me. And one of the things that I'm really thankful for is um, Thea initially looked very... Um, androgynous you couldn't really tell if she was a boy or a girl Mm. and um i kind of did that on purpose because i didn't really you know i just wanted people to be able to put themselves in her shoes no matter what yeah um but you know scotty and jason were very wisely were like is the story about her being androgynous or is the story about her journey and i was like oh it's just about her journey and they're like then it should the you know the way she's presented it shouldn't matter so much you should just make her a boy or a girl and then just make Mm. it so people don't, so if that's not what the story is about, then 
don't make people wonder about it. And I was like, that's really good advice. That and is so, really good. yeah, yeah. And it's just like they're really good at pinpointing, like, hey, what's the story about? Yeah. What's the best? How? What's getting in the way of telling your readers that story? Yeah, and I, and I think that like anybody who's telling a story, there's always those things that you're like, oh, this would be a really cool idea, you know, like whether exactly it's, whether it's a panel yep. layout, you know, you're like, oh, I can structure it this way and it'll all tie yep. in together or whatever. But like, you know, sometimes those things just need to go because what is it actually doing for the story? Yes, exactly. And like anything for yeah, like just like you said, character design, the way a panel's laid out, where you may or may not put a flashback in the story, totally. you know, all these things, you know they can add or they can subtract. And so, yeah, it's great to have those guys as resources. Thanks guys. (laughs) And, uh, kind of on that note, talking about sort of editing and, and, you know, putting a story together, um, your editor on this book who, you know, is, is the editor on many skybound books is Sean Makowitz. Uh, what, what types of, of things do you think are, are a benefit of working with Sean? I mean, which, which things do you really feel like, uh, um, you know, clicks in that kind of partnership? Man, I think part of it is knowing, you know, how much how much work Sean has done for Skybound and other companies. Like, mm-hmm. he's really sharp, and there's this inherent trust for when he says, "Hey, I don't know about this." Mm. Whether it's you know with anything that I pitch, uh, script wise or usually in the script, um, I know it's coming from a place of like, "Hey, I know what works and what doesn't." So there, I think first off, there's this inherent trust and respect on both sides, mm-hmm. um, which I really appreciate. And, you know, also he's um, he's honest and he tells me when he thinks something will work or something doesn't. And um, he's clear. I mean, the, the working relationship is just so strong. And I don't know. I mean, there's not much more to say. I mean, yeah, everything yeah. that he says is for a good reason. And mm-hmm. um, he's really good also at saying Ooh, this this scene, you know, he acknowledges like what I'm going for, mm-hmm. and he says this scene, just like Scotty and Jason were doing, this this scene might be taking away from that. This character line may be taking away from that. The way that this character is talking doesn't fit with the context of this, mm-hmm. and it's just really nice to have somebody to bounce things off of, and for him to say, I don't know about this. I think this is awesome. Um, and one good thing that I think is a hallmark of any great editor is. Sean never says, here's what you should do. He <laughs> says, this doesn't work. Yeah. Fix it. <laughs> so you kind of you, so, you kind of prefer more of a like here's a like a note rather than an idea, maybe? Or or what do you think? Right. He's saying this doesn't really work because because of this reason. Okay. And then he then there's a period after that. You yeah. know, and then he allows me to give the either the reasoning why. And, you know, there have been multiple times where he's written in the notes of the script like Hey, um, you know, why are, you know, you gotta, it's cool that this character is doing this, but you need to let me know why Mm. and whether that goes in an earlier issue or an earlier page or something to, 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 to give the reasoning why this character does this at this certain moment. Mm. Um, so, and just like you said, like, you know, we, as creators, we are going and going and going. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah, this is great. This is great. I'm riffing. This is such a cool idea. And we're not really stopping to think about the whole thing as it proceeds to the big picture of making us one big story. And that's an editor's job. And also, Sean is far enough away from the project where he's like, oh, that doesn't work. Yeah. And where I can be, where I sometimes I have trouble distancing myself from the scope. That makes sense. Um, 
yeah, it's just a lot of like I'm in the thick of it. I'm in the I'm in the weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm making it. I'm not really keep picking my head up. And Sean's job is just to have his head up, being like, "Ah, oh, that doesn't work. That doesn't work." <laughs> and so I can kind of go back and figure things out in those weeds, you know, but I, it's nice to have that lighthouse there. Yeah, absolutely. And what was uh, just like, you know, because I know obviously, and you've, you've spoken before, you know, like when you did um, Alabaster, that was, you know, kind of a, a, a sort of negative experience for you in some ways. Oh, a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, you know what, in, in terms of like on that project, what do you think was the biggest contributor that made it so, so difficult and, and, you know, also kind of just a thing that you'll you know, sort of avoid now so that you don't have that kind of experience again? I don't know. I mean, I feel like for the most part, I don't, I did not really feel like I was a, um, a real co-creator. Um, it kind of felt like the writer's game Mm -hmm. and I was just kind of there to fill in the blank of needing to make the pictures. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to, uh, talk poorly of the writer at all mm-hmm. but i just didn't really feel like an equal and i know it's it's it wasn't my story so there's that but i if i'm putting my time and energy into making this story come alive i want to have a back and forth with the writer and there wasn't any back and forth i never had any contact with her oh, yeah. um it was all just through the editor so it was a really tough project and uh a big part of the healing process of making comics for me was with green leader where I just had to have fun again, making, making pictures. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's a good note for, for, you know, anyone listening who's a, an aspiring writer or, you know, be an artist, like always look for partners who are going to be collaborative and, and contribute their ideas. If you're going to put all your time in that. Cause yeah, I mean, artists like artists are the, cre- are the, the person who puts the most amount of time into any given comic. That's uh, true. So you have to feel like you have some ownership. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, and and back to sort of the you know um, the the kind of you know the positive things or the good feeling things. Um, <laughs> you're you're working with Mike Spicer again on uh, on on Murder Falcon, and you worked with him on um, Extremity. And I think have you worked with him uh, before Extremity, or was Extremity the first time you'd worked with him? Extremity was the first time and the start of a great relationship. <laughs> what what is it uh cuz I, I know you you also kind of when you give your your stuff over to Mike you do kind of inform the colors a bit. Um what I mean what is it that you uh feel like makes Mike's colors work with your art? Well, I think it's a number of things. Um number 1 the working relationship the working relationship is just really solid mm-hmm. um there's never any sort of um there's no just no drama honestly if i ask for a change for something or something it's it's never a problem mm-hmm. um and then likewise you know i try and ask for as little changes as possible because mike honestly hits it out of the park 95% <laughs> of the time uh-huh. um and the only time he doesn't hit it out of the park is if he thinks that something was a tree instead of a wave or you know <laughs> Yeah. So and so it's like, oh, just storytelling wise, this is that thing and this is that thing. And mm-hmm. there's never any there's just it's just so smooth. He's just like, great. And he just changes it. It's fantastic. And I do inform Mike. I I especially with um, the main characters of a book, I will have done a few color studies myself. Mm-hmm. But with everything that I send, Mike, I say, look, if you have a better idea, pitch it to me because you're the colorist. <laughs> here's what you know here's what i'm thinking mm-hmm. but you know if you think something will work better try it um and so one great 
way that he did that. He really helped with the coloring of um, Murder Falcon because, mm. uh, man, Murder Falcon was really tough to figure out how to color because I was thinking that. Yeah, we couldn't go too bright, uh, like too bright, like too, we couldn't go any crazy colors, orange or whatever, because he's still like a falcon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we were trying to do maybe some of that, like, like you know how falcons have darker backs and whiter chests. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't really working either because then it got too busy. Oh yeah, that the makes design. Sense. And so I basically said, "I give up, Mike. You try." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had a general color palette for like the pants and stuff. We switched a few things around. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I demanded that was a necessity was a red bandana and red Converse shoes. <laughs> um, and you know he really helped with the creation of that character because he really figured out how to color him well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thank you, Mike, for that, especially. That's a fantastic job. Also, coloring the beaks of falcons That's... is not easy. He, he also does a great job with that. <laughs> That's what I was kind of looking if... at. I was like, there's no yeah. real defined line on this on this beak. Like it kind of it's kind of the splash of yellow, which looks awesome, you know, but and that's literally, but that's kind of like what falcons are like. Because if you go the whole beak yellow, it will look like a duck or an eagle or something. Mm-hmm. It just looks off. And I was like, Mike, I don't, you got to help me. I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> wrong here with this beak. Um, yeah. I'm so happy with the colors on Murder Falcon. I he's gone above and beyond. I gave him one color reference. Mm-hmm. I said, I love Marvel versus Capcom two. <laughs> Anything you can do to channel that video game, please do. And this guy, he took that note to the, the next level. I mean, th- he uses purple so well, so many times. Yeah. And even more so in issue two, like he's going crazy with purple and it just looks so good. <laughs> it's like the perfect, like, it's the perfect colors for this book. They're just so on point. Mm-hmm. Um. I will, Thanks, I will Mike. I will say that that double page spread where they're sitting on the van uh yep. and they first you know they first notice the the monster and and you know the yep. next kind of like that double page spread I feel like needs to be on a wall somewhere you know both the colors and the line art like it's it's all around just a beautiful job Thank so you good. thank you He definitely elevated it you know I worked really hard on that one but that's what I love about working with Mike is I think he really honors the amount of time that I've put into these pages Mm -hmm. and he really tries to match it and it shows and he's awesome. When you're, uh, when you're putting in these, these, um, you know, some people call them onomatopoeia, some people call them sound effects, whatever, you know, you, you definitely go all out with all sorts of weird creative ways to, to, uh, come up with sounds. Are you thinking about that really hard or is it kind of like, you know, the first weird sound that pops into my head, I'm throwing it down and that's going to be what it is. I'm always sketching things out. Um, mm. A lot of times it's what will work in the composition too. Mm. Um, but honestly, it's I'm not thinking about it a crazy amount. I mean, mm. I'm sure I overuse a bunch. Uh, <laughs> but um, I really like the way that they interact with characters and the way that they kind of provide a nice background in yeah. a fight scene. Um, it just kind of adds a little more flavor. It's funny. And, Kirkman yeah. Kirkman was talking about that same thing with us. He was like, you know, he's like, yeah, just it just feels weird without it, you know? Like it helps the action and it helps kind of like uh solidify it in the comic. I don't know. Totally. And I got to be honest, like I really dislike uh digital automatopia. Mm. Um I it just feels so um 
it just feels like it's uh, jar. It's too. It's very jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever I can tell that an artist has like drawn it in themselves, it makes me really happy because oh. it's part of the art. It's part of that experience, and that's what I was going for, especially in Murder Falcon. Yeah, that's you know that's that's an interesting th- thing to think about because yeah, I mean I. I you saying that makes me go, yeah, that you're you're kind of right. Like when you feel like it is a part of the a part of the art, a part of the composition, you know, and and that it was planned from the beginning to have that in there, then it enhances right. it so much. I um, know there are people that will disagree with me, but whenever I see digital onomatopoeia, it just I can't help but feel like an afterthought. Mm. Um, so yeah, but that's it's a lot of that's personal preference. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just how I am. Um, when you're composing a page, how many, how many times do you think you redraw it? I mean, you know, especially when you're doing like, uh, you know, sort of roughs or, or anything like that, do you usually have like two or three possibilities for the page or do you kind of set on one instinctually and and go from there? Well, for instance, um, let's take, um, one of the early pages of murder Falcon Mm -hmm. where in issue one, where he's jumping. And saying uh, metal will destroy all evil. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there are a few things that are running through my head as I'm kind of concept- concepting the way this page is going to look. Mm-hmm. It's basically the I think it's page five, That's but funny. I know that it's going to be probably the last page in like let's say like a comic book preview mm-hmm. or in a previews catalog. Yeah, um, I know I need to sell it and. You know, I'm writing it out, but I don't when I'm writing the script for Murder Falcon, it's literally Murder Falcon does this. Here's the <laughs> script. And because, you know, all of the all of that action, I mean, that's just me figuring that out visually. Mm. So a lot of the work comes when I thumbnail something, yeah. which I do in Photoshop. So I'm not necessarily redrawing a lot of stuff, but I am resizing things mm. and kind of and these are really sketchy drawings, like crazy, like basically stick figures. Of course. Um and I have a lot of reference next to me, like, um, you know, I'll, sometimes I've, I've probably mentioned this before in other interviews. So sorry for hey, anybody that's okay. heard it. But there's a movie that I really love or that has a great fight scene or a lot of like Kurosawa films. Mm, yeah. I, as I watch them, I'll pause them when I see a great composition mm-hmm. that is really striking that maybe I haven't seen before or even one, a classic one that I just maybe don't use that often mm-hmm. and I'll pause it and I'll just sketch it really fast in my sketchbook and then I'll keep going and I'll pause and sketch and pause and sketch and I'll just have my sketchbook with me as I kind of thumbnail stuff out and I take a lot of inspiration from that because mm. if the shapes are strong, the, the A, the page is going to look better, the panel is going to look better, the drawing is going to look better, and mm-hmm. the work that I put in will be less because the shapes are there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to oversell it with any sort of, you know, uh, details that don't necessarily matter. Yeah, yeah. So that's how page five came along was me looking at different kind of fight scenes and, you know, having that big fist kind of really close to the camera as Murder Falcon's jumping <laughs> in the air. Um and a lot, a lot of that is in like me in Photoshop, like just like, okay, can I make the fist a little bigger? Yeah. Like, you know, and then I print that off on a, like a little tiny piece of paper mm-hmm. and I have it next to me. And as I just, I, I always draw my pages on like a blank sheet of Bristol board. Mm-hmm. I have that, this little kind of um, guide next to me and I'm referring back to that as I'm just drawing and I try and channel as much energy as I can, just like I said with making the story. You know, you want to keep that energy of the 
the initial sketch right down into the inks. And, yeah. but um, a lot of that work comes from that thumbnail process and figuring out how it's going to work. And is this going to be a smooth read? Is there anything that's going to be distracting from it? And as long as I have that as my base, mm -hmm. usually the pencils and inks go quite smoothly and quite a lot of fun as well. Hell yeah. I dig it, man. I mean, this, this comic, uh, for, for all of you listeners out there, you've, gotta pick up uh murder falcon when it comes out go to your stores uh pre-order it it is first off i think it is a great way to see somebody really kind of having fun with the medium but also i think it's a great story and i i can't wait to see uh where it goes um now i know you know so this this was um just announced but do you know uh when this will be releasing yes it'll be coming out october 3rd october 3rd all right Get out to your comic book stores. Make sure you pre-order it, people. Um, and it's a, it's a, I think it's a, yep, it's oversized. It's twenty-four pages of story. Damn, hell yeah, yeah, dude. Uh, so to kind of wrap up these last couple minutes, uh, there's there's a sure. few sort of, um, you know, just random questions I wanted to throw out. Obviously, you know, last time we talked, and and I know you've talked about this before as well. You are a big Transformers fan, and and especially a big Optimus <laughs> Prime fan. Huge, huge, yes. So. You know, and, and we, we also talked to, you know, like the Michael Bay movies, they can they can kind of stand off in the distance and not really think about them much. Uh, sure. But what do you what do you think about? Did you see the new trailer for Bumblebee that they're kind of going in this new direction with the franchise? I did see it. What, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Any better? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> here's 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 how I'll put it. OK, maybe. If I didn't have a baby mm -hmm. and I could just go to any movie that I wanted, not really worry about it, maybe I'd go, <laughs> but probably not. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Uh, yeah. If if you were to do your like you know one Transformers story or something like that, let's say even like a one like a single issue, what what type of story would you want to do? Are there any characters you'd want to involve or any like world yeah. or anything? Um, Optimus Prime wrestling with his pacifism versus the necessity to protect his friends and earth and so on oh damn yeah that idw you got some you got to give somebody a call <laughs> i bet you that I, I i'm sure that you know people have have written about it and because there's been a lot of transformers comics that i have mm. not read all of them yeah optimus does wrestle with that and some of the issues but i'd love to have just maybe a little mini comic that just kind of really goes into it hard just for like 12 pages and then leaves it yeah that no i think that'd be awesome how um actually speaking of that you know how how long do you plan on Murder Falcon being, or is there a, a definite uh, end to it right now? I believe it's going to be eight issues long. Oh, um, short and sweet. So you must you must already be planning kind of the next step after Murder Falcon, huh? I am. Every I am. every time I talk to you, there's always a tease for what's coming next because you work so far ahead, and I'm like, damn it, I never know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm very excited. Is this another uh, thing that you'll be writing and drawing? That's the hope. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. Are you... And actually, here's another question. Uh, sure. As, as a, you know, as, as a creator, obviously, like, you've, you've moved into this phase, as, you know, a lot of people, I think, do, you know, where you're, you're controlling your stuff, you're writing and drawing it, and it's, and it's all a very honest, you know, thing completely from you. Um, have you thought about either, A, you know, writing for other artists or, B, drawing for writers again? Is that, is that a thing that you're entering into, or do you think you're kind of past that phase? I've definitely thought about writing for other people. Mm. Um, the trick is finding a person that, you know, I think would be a really great collaborator. 
Um, cause it's kind of like entering into a relationship, you know, you have to be on the same page and have a good working relationship and enjoy the other person as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, comics are too much work for me to work with people that, you know, are, you know, difficult to work with, or, you know, <laughs> um, not to say that there's a lot of like crappy people out there at all, but it's yeah. just, I want to make sure that it's a good relationship. Mm-hmm. That's important to me. Um, and Gosh, as far as writing for other people, you know, there are writers that I really love their work. Um, Mm. And I think maybe if anything, I'd like to maybe do something that would be like a palate cleanser from writing and drawing my own stuff. Oh, yes. Um, But honestly, the dream from the beginning has always been to write and draw my own stuff. And I have so much fun doing it. It's so rewarding Mm -hmm. that I'm not like. I'm not saying I, I'm not saying I won't because I love drawing mm-hmm. in any situation, but man, I just, I love making my own stories. So <laughs> I'm always open to it, but I, I think the the preference, at least for now is to make my own stories yeah, and man. make them come to fruition by myself. Yeah. I, and I, I think that's, I think that is kind of, you know, I think for, for most people, especially now, you know, it's like we live in this generation where we've watched, you know, people like Frank Miller and, you know, even like going back to Jack Kirby where he was finally able to to do that yep. you know, all on his own and stuff. Like it is kind of the goal to be able to, to give out a story that's, you know, wholly from you. Um, I, I'm curious, who are your like if you were to do like a top three or top five comic book creators that were most influential on you personally, who who would you put up there? <sighs> Definitely Bill Watterson. OK. Um definitely i mean yeah i gotta say frank miller was a huge one mm-hmm. um just because you know i read dark knight returns when i was so young of course and uh batman year one was another big one that had a big influence on me yeah and gosh third would have to be man you know who was a huge part of me growing up was mm. joe mad really oh um, i could see that. oh yeah uh when i was in high school i basically just aped him (laughs) like aped him and uh that was a huge part of me growing up was you know and i think that's where you know i'd like to think that's like where my initial burst of like i want to draw with energy and Mm -hmm. like kind of the cartooning aspect of comics yeah um i've never been much of a realistic kind of artist i've always wanted to be a little more cartoony and joe mad was the the basis for that i think that's awesome yeah i man it's, sometimes i miss joe mad's comic stuff i mean you know obviously I'm, I'm happy for him that he's you know doing what he loves and 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 is still finding right. success but it's like sometimes i'm like man i would love to have like a new joe mad comic you know coming out <sighs> i want to have a new joe mad comic where he has an inker I, <laughs> I really like it when he has an inker i remember when the ultimates came out and i was sad that there was no inker it looked um the colors did, i feel didn't really do his art justice yeah i think you're right um, but maybe for Battle Chasers, he says he's isn't he going to work on it? Isn't he going to do a Battle Chasers comic? Isn't he going to finish it? I feel like I've been hearing that for a long time, and so I never know what to believe <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I feel like I've been hearing that, but I feel like that may never happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh well, um, Joe Mad, if you hear this, we love you and we wish you the best, <laughs> and please finish Battle Chasers. <laughs> Kent, that interview, that that Daniel, he's a he's a guy, isn't he? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, I heard all of those great words he said once I'm listening to this podcast. Once yeah, to. yeah. Future you will have heard it. And he loved it. Absolutely loved it. I he he it. won't be able to he won't be able to stop himself from running down the street to the comic book store and saying, Give me give me Murder Falcon now and they'll say, Well, we can't give it to you now, but we can pre order it now and then you'll get it on October tenth. And you'll say, Okay, I guess that's acceptable. I mean, I, I feel like I'm watching my future life and my past life People now. People say I'm this a prophet, perfect. Kent. Uh, and so I, I think you're kind of uh, ex- experiencing that a little bit right now. I'm I'm good at predicting the future. Well, I like profits, so let's let's get those <laughs> Uh, those things paid for with uh, some great ads coming to you right now. Kent, you ever heard of magazines? Uh, I've read one or two. You read one or two? Well, uh, I, I got one. I got one for you to add to the stack and make it three. Perfect. Uh, it's called Panel by Panel. It is a digital magazine all about the craft of comics, uh, featuring interviews with creators. Um, all sorts of in-depth tips, uh, you know, discussions f- between creators, uh, you know, one creator to another as peers, um, as well as giant features and deconstruction of, of some of today's uh, most inventive comics. Um, it's a wonderful magazine. That's a lot of uh, juice. A lot of juice. Uh, Hassan Otsman Elhow is the uh, editor-in-chief of this magazine and does a wonderful job. Um, I, I honestly, every issue that I read is... It blows me away the the level of analysis and sort of insight that these people have on the uh, comics industry and and the medium as a whole. Um, I obviously have recurring segments in the magazine. You can check out the magazine at panelxpanel.com um, if you want to learn more. If anyone is listening to this show, I think they would also be interested in panel by panel. I love learning more about comics, and it sounds like a a great way. Oh yeah, and speaking of comics, Kent, I think you've got a, a comic you you got to plug here. What's uh, what's your comic? Time to plug my comic. Yes, I am Kent Heidelman, and I have a free comic for everyone to read. It's called Scariest in Screamforth. It's a comic about three little kid monsters in a monster town trying to solve a mystery. It's mostly all ages. Uh, it is free to read. You can just go to scariestinscreamforth.com and check it out. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, creepy, cute, spooky, cute is kind of the vibe I'm going for. Uh, it's kind of like Stranger Things meets Monsters Inc. Uh, there are no humans in the story, but they are all very human-like quality characters that are uh, running around town. And it's um, I'm trying to make it adorable and also weird, but it's uh, trying to make it a lot of heart. Oh yeah, and it's uh, scariestinscreenforth.com. That's scariestinscreenforth.com. Read it for free. Wonderful. Well, Kent, uh, you, you, people are listening to this podcast right now, and I'm, I'm sure if they're listening to this podcast, they're fans of the podcasting medium and probably fans of comics. That's a good assumption. Yeah, I think it's a good assumption. Uh, well, our sister show uh, is all about comics. It is a podcast called The Savage Land. Um, you can find it at savagelandpodcast.com or on any podcast app. It is me and a couple of my friends just talking about comics, man. Uh, talking about comics, movies, you know, we'll break down the news, give some reviews, talk about what we've been reading. It's kind of like sitting in a room with uh, three friends just hanging out, talking about uh, the, the things they love. Um, so it's, it's a good time. It's like a warm little hug for your ear holes. So go to savagelandpodcast.com and you can listen to that. Kent, uh, let's, let's tell the people how they can support our show. Obviously, they, they're listening. They, they might be enjoying what they're hearing and, and think, hey, I want to I wanna throw a little bone. I want to support them. So what can they do? Well, if you've got bones to throw or American dollars or euros or whatever dollars you've got, 
uh, you can throw them all over us at TMBC Workshop. Uh, the Patreon is our, our username is TMBC Workshop at Patreon. We've got rewards for you there. Uh, there's lots of things to, to choose from. Uh, Patreon's a great way to support us directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really helps finance the show and helps us grow. Uh, there's options like having your name in the credits of this very show that you're listening to. We'll, we'll rattle your name off at the very end. Uh, there's all sorts of reward tiers that you can check out hey. and lots of great options. Wonderful. Make sure you go check that out, patreon.com, and uh, search for TMBC Workshop. Want to remind everybody, if you're enjoying the show, go check it out on iTunes. Leave a rating or a review. Reviews are always fun because then we can read them out on the show. Um, and uh, we will wrap this episode up uh, hearing why Daniel Warren Johnson loves comics. Um, oh, man, I hope my answer isn't too similar to the Savage Land answer. Uh, <laughs> but uh, comics are a way to get a, a story about anything. Uh out to people and shared with the world at a crazy cheap. I mean, it takes a man hours or people hours, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you want to have, if you want to have something really epic and grand, Mm -hmm. you can make a comic about it. If you want to have something very intimate and quiet, you can make a comic about that. Mm -hmm. The tone, the mood, the set pieces, they're all, the only limit is the time that you have to put into it. And even with that, the limitations of time, the sandboxes of that can really make for special things. And I don't think there's any other medium that's quite like that. I think you, you, you knocked it out of the park once again, Dan. That's a, that's a brilliant <laughs> answer. And I think you're, you're right. I mean, it, it takes a, a village and a small town and a city to, to make a movie or a TV show, but uh, it only takes a, a couple of people to make a comic or even one. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, Daniel, you uh on the internet i believe every social media handle you have is uh daniel warren art is that correct that's correct awesome and uh you can also find daniel's art for sale at felixcomicart.com uh you can find his website danielwarrenart.com um make sure you go and pre-order murder falcon and uh dan thanks for thanks for joining uh the show thanks so much man have a great day Be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>